Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the and at this point, one would normally say, Good evening, everybody. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with me, New England's very own... Except it's not New England's very own Van Helsing because, once again, he's able. So whilst we wait for the fates to round up the other co-host and get him on, we'll... Uh, we, ah, we might be appearing any minute now. Is he going to appear any minute now? No. Meanwhile, I will continue with the show, and tonight we have a very special guest with us. Um, got him possibly, maybe. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, we might have Ron, but anyway, I'm going to ignore. The, I'm going to ignore the, what's going on on Skype, and go straight to our guest because um, many of you will have seen the movie The Conjuring, um, and our guest tonight, Andrea Perrin was one of the children involved in the real case of the real farmhouse in Rhode Island. So, uh, without further ado, it's my great pleasure to welcome tonight's guest, Andrea Perrin. Good evening. Good evening, Steve. It's lovely to join you. Thank you so much for the invitation. No, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, I know I, I've got to, first of all, um, admit I haven't seen the movie The Conjuring. I was going to try and catch up with it earlier in the week. Um, I do know about the case, however, but not the, I haven't seen the movie, which may be a good thing. It may be a bad thing. But <laughs> first of all, let, let's, for those that don't know um, about the case, can you just give us uh, a run through of the reality of the case and the background behind it? Well, yes, certainly. Um, you know, the movie is is a good film for what it is. Uh, it, it grabs the attention of a viewer. It has uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh, little quirks and twists about it, that some of which are real and true. Uh, but for the most part, The Conjuring was fictionalized. Um, I spent seven years of my life uh, writing um, the whole true story. Uh, chronicling the events that occurred during the 10 years that I lived with my family at this old farmhouse up in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Uh, and my trilogy of books is called House of Darkness, House of Light. And anyone who wants to know the whole true story of what happened in that house needs to read those books. Um, because it really will tell you the intricacies of what happened. It will take you on a very spiritual, emotional journey. You know, I, I found it fascinating that your opening for the show talked about the merging of science and spirituality. You know, are they desperate? Are they actually one and the same? Uh, and I've spent um, years trying to determine that myself, to, you know, find out where one thing ends or another thing begins, or is it all one? Uh, and that's really the side that I've come down on. I think that what we call magic, what we call um, paranormal, is actually perfectly normal. It's just that we don't understand the science behind it yet. And so it falls into the realm of the unknown for us. But so, I think ultimately, Andrea, uh, this no. is... Oh, hello. The voice is Ron Cole coming here now. Oh, Ronald's here. Yeah, 
Yes, and Andrew, uh, you, you know, it's it's interesting because there are, the the problem we have a, a case like yours. There's so much uh, conjecture about it. I mean, you have two movies that come out. You have other people's accounts of it, and and you always they don't always mesh. You get conflicting stories. So I mean, to get an account of someone who actually. Um, lived through it is so important to you know uh, and what you did is is document uh that case yeah which is extremely important because you know today's media world it's it's all about the movies tv and social media so we don't get these first-hand accounts uh we get more or other versions Yes, I'm afraid that's true, Ronald. Uh, but I, I do feel that I've made my contribution to the paranormal community in that our memoir, our family memoir, tells the whole truth. And there are elements of that trilogy of books that are far more astounding, far more phenomenal than anything that was loosely recreated in The Conjuring. You know, the interesting thing about The Conjuring, and there really is only one movie that was made about our family story, The Conjuring. Conjuring 2 is about the Enfield poltergeist in England, which was another one of Ed and Lorraine Warren's investigations. Right. Can um, I just jump in there? And sure. Actually, sure. Just, just for the record, state quite clearly and categorically that the Warrens had absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the Enfield case. Um, they did visit the property um, as the case drew to an end. I think they spent about 15 minutes at the location. Um, but in a few weeks' time, we'll be having uh, on the show as our guest, Guy Lyon Playfair, who is the prime investigator of the Enfield case. And he assures me that the Warrens never set foot in the place, certainly yeah. in an investigative capacity. Um, so we, yeah. I think we've just, just put that Hollywood myth to bed. Well, it was something that they wrote about in their case files. And, of course, the series... Oh, they absolutely did write about it. They just never... Mm-hmm. They just yeah, never investigated it. <laughs> that was my understanding as well from Ed Warren's um, nephew, John Zaffis, was that they really didn't have very much at all to do with that case. But it got picked up by Warner Brothers and New Line as one of uh, another one of their um, stories in uh, their case files, which is mm-hmm. actually what the original Conjuring was based upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truth is, Steve, they had very little to do with what happened at our house. Um, um, they only came to visit five or six times, and we lived there for ten years. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm not so surprised by that because you know the Warrens uh, have this reputation um, as, uh, in, as as investigators, but the reality, I, I think, at times falls a little bit short of the reputation. Anyway, sorry, I was we were digressing. No, go right ahead. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean that what you're talking about is is what is spoken about frequently in the United States as mm. well. Is that there was mm. a great deal of hyperbole and mm. exaggeration in terms of their um, their participation. Yeah. And that's why as, as we were very, very uh, pleased to have you on the show, because it, it does give, give uh, you an, an opportunity to tell the actual story, your, your story, your family's story. Well, I think that you will find, and what I've, I have uh, close to 100,000 readers, <laughs> and many of them have uh, sent me letters and said, you know, this is, this is actually so incredibly different than the film that the only thing it has in comparison are the names of your family. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, poor Bathsheba Sherman copped the blame uh, from Mrs. Warren for everything of a nefarious nature that happened at the farm. But you know what, Steve, the God's honest truth is that the reason my trilogy is named House of Darkness, House of Light was because it was both. It was the most enlightening decade of my life. I saw things and experienced things as a child that absolutely irrevocably changed the way that I look at the world, um, my own philosophy of life, yeah. uh, everything about it. And it was an incredible story, far more fascinating than the movie was. But, you know, then on... I have to say, you know, that it was impossible for them to take 10 years and squeeze that down into a two hour film. So unfortunately, the conjuring was for the most part conjured up in the minds of two screenwriters <laughs> who had to fit the bill. And Warner Brothers was quite frankly afraid to tell the whole true story because they didn't think people were ready for it and they wanted to keep people in the theater seats for the entire film so they digressed as you did <laughs> but they did it with purpose and reason and you so know the other how, side how did your family sorry uh, your family your your parents bought the farmhouse in uh, Harrisville yes in 1970 my mother found the house and uh, they, they closed on it in December. We moved in in January of 1971, and we stayed until June of 1980. And it was an incredible, wild ride. How did, it, how did it start? How did it, what were the very first signs that there was something untoward about the property? Oh, that's a good, good point. Well, interestingly... We had visited the property a number of times as a family prior to moving in. And none of us could recall ever having any kind of uh, awkward, strange, um, supernatural experiences on the property. We played in the barn. We played in the river. We were all through the house. Uh, none of us had ever seen or, or heard anything untoward in the farmhouse until the day we moved in. And my father opened up the back of the moving truck and we moved in in the middle of a sleet, snow, ice storm. Um, and uh, you're familiar with that in England. I know you are. <laughs> yes, we, 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 had, we had one yesterday. <laughs> oh, lovely. Happy spring. Um, and uh, my father opened up the back of the moving truck. Mr. Kenyon, who had sold the property to my parents, was still in the house and he was packing up the last of his belongings um, and standing in the middle of the dining room, emptying out the built-in china uh, hutch in the corner of the room and packing a box on the middle of what was his dining room table. We hadn't moved ours in yet uh, because he was yet to finish moving out as we were moving in. And dad said, take this to your mother in the kitchen. He handed me a big box. I walked through the parlor door uh, off the front porch, took a hard right into the dining room and I saw Mr. Kenyon there packing his belongings. I greeted him. He greeted me. We knew each other uh, from our numerous visits. Uh, and then I saw an oddly dressed man standing in the corner. And I remember thinking, oh, God, does everybody dress like this out here? You know, we were we were only 30 minutes outside of Providence, Rhode Island. And yet it was another world. And um, and he was standing in the corner of the dining room and he appeared absolutely solid to me, Steve. Oh, um, did you lose me? No. Nope. Oh, okay. He appeared absolutely solid to me, and actually, yep. I greeted yep. him. 
as I passed by. And I asked my mother, who was the other man standing with Mr. Kenyon in the dining room? And she said, honey, there's no other man. It's it's just us. And his son's on the way. He'll be here soon. Well, three of my four sisters also saw that full body apparition. And my sister Nancy saw him disappear, literally vaporize into thin air. And she came into the kitchen and she leaned over to my sister, Cindy, and she said, you know, that man that was, was Mr. Kenyon, he just disappeared. And so we knew something was odd, but it was absolute chaos. So, and but, was it, but was it terrifying for you? That's, I mean, no. this is, you know, a highly unusual event. So, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't accept it uh, so easily. They would, you know, be, there would be terror in them. Well, I, maybe it was something about his demeanor. Um, you know, we got to know that particular spirit pretty well over the decade that we spent at the house. And he was uh, very placid, peaceful, uh, never caused any problem. He, he rather watched over us. Um, and he would manifest on the first floor of the house. I don't believe anybody ever saw him on the second floor. Uh, but he he didn't pose any threat, Ronald. There was no, no sense of danger. Uh, he appeared absolutely solid to me, so I just presumed it was a friend who had stopped by. Nancy's the one that saw him disappear. But the most interesting element of this was about an hour later, he reappeared in the dining room, uh, also fixated on watching Mr. Kenyon. And my father was standing no more than three feet away from him. And we were all in the dining room and all the children saw this spirit. But my father did not. And that was what told me that this was something strange and new and unusual. But there was no sense of fear and no sense of a threat. At some point, though, there must have been um, um, a sense of uh, uh, perhaps a threat because... Um, at, at some point, your parents contacted the Warrens and decided that the property needed um, needed the, the investigating, needed some attention. What changed? What changed within the case then from this well, benign apparition? My um, my parents actually. That's. Um you know, one of those things that's been reported extensively that it's simply not true. My mother never uh, invited the Warrens or anyone else to the house. She never contacted anyone about the haunting that was going on in the house. Interestingly, a group of college kids showed up that my mom thought were friends of mine from school. Right. Uh, and they're the ones that told the uh, they were an investigative group led by Keith Johnson and his brother Carl. Yeah, um, Keith, Keith and Kyle Johnson. Yeah, we had yeah, them on the no, show that, before, and 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 I know both of them very well. And I was going to bring them up, so that mm -hmm. that story is absolutely true. Then, yes, they came first in August of '73. We were all out of school. Uh, my mother liked Keith, and Keith said, you called me, Mrs. Perrin. And she's like, no, dear, I never called anyone. And he said, but I recognize your voice. She said, no, dear, I never called anyone. But she liked him, and she let him in the house. And as soon as she did, all hell broke loose on the upstairs floor. Um, and he's the one that contacted Ed and Lorraine and suggested that perhaps they, you know, beat feet out to the farm, that there was something extremely unusual going on there. And then the Warrens summarily kicked them to the curb as though they were just nothing but kids and didn't know what they were talking about. But actually, Keith was well grounded in paranormal research, even at the age of 19, had grown up in a haunted house himself and was fascinated and had been doing research since he was a young a child. Um, so 
Anyway, they're the ones that brought the warrants to us. My mother didn't know who those people were when she opened our kitchen door. And, and <laughs> it, But interestingly, Mrs. Warren walked Oops. into our kitchen and she walked right over to our black stove and she covered her eyes and she said, I sense a malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. And there's no way that she could have known that there was an entity, a living person from the 1800s that had actually had some attachment to that house. So consequently, in her case files that she compiled with her husband, Ed, um, Bathsheba became the culprit for everything that had gone wrong in the house. My mother was actually the one under attack. And the spirit that was um, causing the, the great upheaval in the house was not the children or, you know, we had a lot of spirits in the house, at least a dozen that we um, could identify uh, at sight. Um, but we didn't know for sure who they were. My mom started doing some research on the property uh, not long after we moved in because she wanted to know what was going on. Uh, but the spirit that was actually haunting my mother was dead before Bathsheba Sherman was ever even born. And it was most likely Mrs. John Arnold um, that hanged herself in the barn um, in the late 1700s. And she was 96 years old. And she was the one that perceived herself to be the mistress of the house. Please keep mm -hmm. in mind that when we moved into that farmhouse in 1970, 71, um, that house had been there complete as it is now, finished since 1736, 40 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and eight generations of one extended family lived and died in that house. And consequently, some of them decided that they didn't want to leave. But there was only one spirit that was absolutely right. malicious. Now, the, uh... Go ahead, and, Steve. And... Or Ronald. I think... Okay. I think... What it is, I, th I think what it is, Andrea, we're just suffering from uh, one or two Skype technical problems at the moment. One, one or other of us keep cutting out. Um, we're trying to figure that one out. But I was going to ask you, uh, you, you have this, uh, this, this, this story that develops, this, this uh, pointing of fingers at Bathsheba, which you say is incorrect. But if the family were there for 10 years, now that puts you in the position of, in my, in my book, of the primary investigators because you're living in the, in the location, uh, in the house 24-7. Um, so what were your actual experiences as, uh, you know, as a family living on the property? Well, you're absolutely right in your presumption that we were all living, breathing investigators um, dwelling in that house uh, among the dead. Um, it was something that took some getting used to, uh, but we didn't want to leave the house. We, the children, didn't want to. We loved it there. We were on 200 acres of the most beautiful land you've ever seen in your life. Uh, we had a big farm, uh, a big barn to play in and a woodshed and, and uh, our own lake and our own river. And, I mean, it was spectacular. Um, and we weren't really afraid, even though, well, I can't say we weren't afraid. There were moments of serious um, blood-curdling fear that happened in that house. But it predominantly happened to my mother and my sister's sister. 
Christine and Cindy. Um, I always got along fine with the spirits. I never really had an issue with them. I was never attacked in the house the way that my mother was. Uh, I was never uh, propositioned in the house the way my sister Cindy was when the spirit that attacked my mother came to her and said, come with me, little girl, come to me. That terrified Cindy out of her mind. She was only eight years old when that happened. Um, there were so many. It took me 1,500 pages to tell the entire story, to take my reader on the intellectual odyssey and the supernatural excursion that was our decade in that house. It was truly uh, a, a very enlightening experience because we learned to see multidimensionally. We weren't relegated to a three-dimensional, five-sensory world anymore. Um, and the more we experienced, the more we had to assimilate what was happening around us. And as children, yes, there was there were some supreme moments of fear. My little within a couple of days of moving into the farm, my sister Cindy crawled into bed with me one night and she said, Annie, there are people talking in my room. And I thought maybe it was my sister, Chris, who would talk in her sleep sometimes. And she said, no, there's they're all standing around my bed. I put my head under the pillow, I covered my ears and they got louder and louder. I said, what's going on, honey? What did they say? And she said, they're all talking at once and they're telling me the same thing all at once. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. And they would, and she said every single night she spent in that house, no matter what room she was in, those spirits would come to her and make their presence known no matter where she was in the house. And we think that it's because Cindy died when she was two months old and was brought back to life. And so perhaps she had a, a closer connection with the spirit world than the rest of us did. But my mother was the one that suffered the most. My mother had physical attacks, which took place in that house. And actually, um, last year, Paranormal Witness did an episode which captured a few elements of our story. And that was one of them, the attacks that my mother sustained. What do you think? Why, why do you feel it was centered upon your mother rather than the rest of the family or any particular other family member? Well, why? You know, singling one person out, I mean, it's, it's, not a new, it, it's not unique, there are other cases, but what are your thoughts? Well, you know, we really, all of us processed this. We didn't breathe a word of our story to anybody for 30 years. And then I decided that it was time to tell our story. And as my mother said, it's not the kind of story that one should rightfully take to the grave. If something like this happens to you in life, it's important to share it, come what may. And she's right about that. But the more research we did, the more that her encounters um, increased over that decade, uh, we came to determine that it was most likely the original mistress of the house that lived there in the 1700s. Um, Mrs. Arnold died at 96 years old, but we presumed that, you know, she considered herself the mistress of the house and that in some way, shape or form, my mother posed a threat to her um, because she coveted us, the five children, and she literally lusted after my father and would touch him regularly. Um, but she hated my mother. She loathed her. And she wanted her out of the house, and she made sure she let her know that she was persona non grata and was not welcome in her own home. So it does seem to be, to what you're suggesting then, is it's a case of the, the, the entity, the spirit, 
had focused on your mother as being a writer, a rival. Yes, perfect word choice, Steve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This 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 figure, this this ninety um, six year old lady. Uh, how did how do you perceive that she took to? Uh, she had a rival in your mother. Did she did she adopt you as children or or? Was, do you see where I'm going with this? Yes, I do. You know, she, did she have any maternal... Were there any impressions that she had any maternal instincts towards you? Or were you just part of the the scenario that was taking place? Well, I don't know if she did. She seemed uh, pretty bitter and seemed to focus her hatred on my mother. There was an older woman uh, spirit in the house that loved us dearly. And she would come and kiss us goodnight on the forehead every night. She'd never actually make any physical contact. But each one of us could feel her presence. And we knew it wasn't our mom because mom always smelled like ivory soap. And this spirit smelled like an odd combination of flowers and fruit. Um, and there was a coldness that would come into the room when she would come near us. And then when she would back away, it would warm again. So we knew that we were literally being tucked in twice a night, once by our mom and then once by our surrogate mother, who was also a spirit in the house but loved us dearly. And and there are numerous um, cases of when she actually acted to protect us. We, we're coming up to a break in about a minute and a half, but there's, there's a, I'm going to throw a curveball in just before the break because I was just reading um, uh, that the movie grossed uh, $318 million. I presume you, there's a family uh, at the center of the story. You got something for that. <laughs> oh, would ask that. If, well, if you know, $318 million, come on, guys. You know, it's your story. If you knew how little my family got, you'd uh, no, fall we right know. <laughs> Yeah, we know. We were just saying um, the only way to make money in this industry is to become a psychic. Uh, but, you know, I was just looking at the <laughs> box office for, for The Conjuring, $318 million. And, uh, yeah, it's... There's, there's something not quite right about that, really. Yes, there's something really quite not right about that. Um, I know I... Yes, you're absolutely correct. Um, but you know what? On the other side of that, Steve, Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema put out some elements of our story that would never have gotten out into the world otherwise. Uh, so many people, because of seeing The Conjuring, have found my books, and now they know the real story. And because they took that journey with us through those pages, they now feel like they're a part of our family. And the most wonderful aspect of that is that so many of them now feel absolutely liberated to tell their own stories. So that's, that's the awesome. cherry on the cake. We're, we're actually Excellent. coming up to the well, break. break to, right. We're to. actually coming to the break right now. So uh, before we do, uh, why don't if somebody was interested in getting your books, where, where could they get them? And your website, if you have one. Uh, yes. Um, people can visit my website, uh, houseofdarknesshouseoflight.com. Uh, all my books are available. I have many, many fans, many readers in the UK. And my understanding is they get them directly from my publisher, which is quick and pretty cheap, um, from authorhouse.com UK and amazon.com UK. We'll be okay, so we're, there's the break. So we have to take a break right now. We'll be.
and Ghost Chronicles uh, International right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Astronet, um, Planet Paranormal, maybe the Ghost Fox. Yep, we'll be back. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. There's the heartbeat again. Which Wait, means we're back to you... pot. No, you can sit quietly. The, Your the Skype doesn't work. Uh, now be quiet. Be quiet. Welcome back to pots. See, professional brings us back into part two. The, the role of the co-host, who had to stand in for the main host because he wasn't here... And now he's going to interrupt me. Anyway, welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International, live on Togginet, Para-X, the Ghost Box, and if you want to listen to one of the podcasts, iTunes. And our special guest tonight is Andrea Perrin, who not only is one of the family who lived in the Harrisburg, Rhode Island house that became... Uh, famous for the haunting is also an author in her own right which I'm trying desperately to find the title of it I know the book's House of Darkness House of Light there's actually three of them yes yes and I'm just trying to find yeah and I was just trying to find the link but the the precise moment I hit the buttons Safari the web browser crashed okay good 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 very good must be paranormal it must be like your Skype. Sorry, Andrea. Now, Andrea, um, before we go back to Harrisburg, Rhode Island, and The Conjuring, um, you're also doing a, a 
conference because uh, I live in West Wales and I know that, uh, is it next month, you're doing a video conference to a Welsh paranormal conference um, down not very far from where I am. I'm very, I'm very excited about it too, Steve. Um, Hold on, let me get my calendar. (laughs) I have to. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Sound like me. Well, what we'll do now is for the for the next five minutes, while she while she, uh, Andrea looks for the calendar, and together in the room, we'll we'll switch to a Welsh accent, so we can switch the rest of the the interview in a Welsh accent just to get her used to the idea. So, hello, Andrea, and welcome to Wales. Oh, that's just charming and lovely. You have no idea how the Perrin family is so into everything British. You can't imagine. Oh, Our TV is oh, always on BBC. We might just as well live in Downton Abbey. Oh. Now, I'll take, well, for the next 20 minutes, I think what we'll do is uh, uh, I'll check out of the radio show and I'll leave you two guys to talk about Downton because I think Ron is probably um, Massachusetts' number one Downton Abbey fan. I when he's not yeah, when you're not watching the Midsummer Murders. Um, so no, I no. should leave you two to chat about Downton. But you are doing a... a, 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 a a conference here in in the UK so that people can learn even more about the case. Yes, Uh, actually, I'm doing it via Skype, and it's the Welsh Paracon uh, with Helen Louise Davies, and it is scheduled for the weekend of July 9th, and I will be at their beck and call on Skype. So anybody that's actually there can meet with me uh, via uh, satellite. And I'll do a lecture, and then I'll meet with people individually. And I hope by next year I'll be able to attend uh, that and a number of events in the U.K. Uh, I'm, you know, so absolutely drawn to it. My mother is from Clan Buchanan um, way back, dec- you know, uh, generations ago. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's in our blood, absolutely. So, uh, But, you know, speaking of which, Steve, I have to tell you about the most exciting thing that's going on in my life right Other now. Other than being on that... show? Uh, pardon? <laughs> Other no, than being on the show? Yes. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Being on this show is, is, yeah. a, is a banner moment in my career, yeah. for sure. Uh, that's what I figured. Yeah, and Ron, you Carry sound on. so much like my friend Steve Deshavi. It's just crazy. I feel like I'm in the same room with him, honestly. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> That's okay. No, it's a good thing, actually. He's a nut job, but I love him. Um, but hey, no, wrong. Nut job. Yes. Good, good description. Good All right. Description. I do. Um, George and I, George Lopez, who is my paranormal partner in crime, uh, developed a, a wonderful story in his mind about a quarter of a century ago. And last year, we turned it into a novel. And it's called In a Flicker. And it is set um, in the UK. It's set in England predominantly at Oxford University. Um, because of my many uh, associations with people in England um, and because of my love of all things British, uh, it was a perfect fit for me. Uh, the story is actually George's idea, um, but I helped him turn it into uh, really a remarkable novel that's gotten nothing but five-star reviews worldwide since we published it in October of 2015. Um, so anybody that's into a really deep, dark, 
dense murder mystery. Please avail yourself of In a Flicker. Um, and, you know, find us on Facebook on our fan page, uh, George Lopez at In a Flick uh, 2 on Twitter. Um, people can connect with us immediately um, through our website, inaflickernovel.com. Uh, I am so incredibly proud of this story, and it is a very dark, um, really gruesome tale that is derived directly from British history. But we've taken it and amalgamated um, fictional characters in with the actual truth of what transpired in London um, in well, the past. Well, we can we can connect even more um, more promptly to George because he's in our talking next chat room at the moment. Uh, so good evening, oh, that, George. That's great. So he's, he's um, listening to the show and uh, welcome to chip in by the chat room if he wishes. Uh, oh, so that's anyways, marvelous. Andrea, you've written the three books on The Conjuring, which is, you know, true life. Uh, you know, you it's it's it was difficult to write in that you wanted to get your facts straight, and then you have a novel which is, of course, fiction, but even though it's based on fact, was it difficult? Which was more difficult to do? Was it the 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 you know nonfiction or the fiction? Nonfiction, the chronicle of our life's events in a memoir, was difficult emotionally on an entire different level because entirely different level because we as a family had to dredge up and delve deeply into our own history and it was very emotional. There were a lot of tears shed. I had sisters that didn't want to talk about what happened. I had to yank it out of them. It was like pulling hen's teeth. Um, you know, I, but you know, finally my whole family came on board with the project. Um, I'll tell you, though, In a Flicker was the hardest job of my life. Um, and it wasn't, it was because of the intense and disturbing nature of the story. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult read emotionally. It will, it'll, it'll just It'll tear your heart out. It's it's literally heartbreaking, um, but it's also uh, enlightening in equal measure. Um, as I tell my readers, I know it just blew your mind wide open. I know it did. Um, and even though it was George's story that he harbored within himself for you know, decades, um, it poured out of him in the same way that House of Darkness, House of Light poured out of me. It took me seven years to write and publish those three books um, to the exclusion of all else. And in a way, In a Flicker saved me because I was uh, inexplicably so depressed when I was done writing the trilogy that I felt like my purpose had been served on this earth. And I didn't know what else, you know, what direction I was going into next. And George said to me as he was kind of watching over me, saying, it'll be OK, honey, it'll be OK. Uh, he said, let me tell you a story. And it was late, late at night. We were on the phone. And when he was done telling me this story from his mind that became in a flicker, um, I, I freaked. I said, George, you've got to write this down. He said, but I'm not a writer. I said, well, I am. I'll help you write this down. We've got to do this. This is not a story you can keep a secret. It's got to go out into the world. So in that respect, the trilogy and In a Flicker have a lot in common um, because I think that they all four books were destined to go out into the world for very different reasons. So you, you so, moved from the house uh, in 1981. Um, now, that was 
after 10 years living at the property in Rhode Island. Yeah, 1980 in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Um, What's we happened there. subsequently? I mean, has oh, the paranormal yeah, followed you to other... Has the paranormal followed you to other locations or has, has it, have you left it behind now and I just moved on with, you know, got on with the, the reality of life? Well, that's an excellent question, Steve. And I will tell you very honestly that once a person is touched by spirit, it's like kicking a door wide open to the netherworld and you can't ever close it again. You can turn your back on it and pretend that it doesn't exist, but eventually something's going to reach through and tap you on the shoulder. And that has been true for every single member of my family. You can't unexpand a human consciousness. It won't retract. Once you understand that this extraordinary, exceptional thing exists in the universe, you can't unlearn it. You can't be untouched by it. Um, and it sensitized every single one of us in inexplicable ways. My sister, Cindy, more so than anybody in the family, she has spirit guides who are around her protecting her all the time. And when any of us are in any kind of trouble, she sends them to, to us. She just tells them, go, take care of it, you know, whatever needs. I mean, and most people would hear that and go, oh, my God, those people are twisted. You know, and one of the best questions is, why the hell did they even stay there for a decade? And there are a lot of answers to that question, but the, the most important answer is that it's because we were supposed to, or it would have happened a different way. We were there. That place was a part of our lives from 1970 until 1980. But I have visited it a multitude of times since. It is a, it's an integral part of my life. It's the only place I've ever felt like home. Um, and I miss it every day. I dream about it all the time. It's just a part of my life, but not just the place itself, the connection the, with spirits that was made. Are the spirits, with all of are the spirits still there? Uh, yes, are the they are. Still? Regardless yeah. of what current owner might be saying um, so that she can file a lawsuit against Warner Brothers and see if she can tap any of that $318 million. Um, <laughs> um, the uh, the fact is that she knows what happened to our family and has been uh, disingenuous in the extreme in terms of her representation about it since the movie came out. I mean, I understand that she was upset that there were some, you know, fanatic teenagers that were trying to cross over onto her property and, oh, and uh, yeah. raise some hell, you know, and I'm sorry that that happened, but I'm not responsible for that. I didn't do that to her. My readers, my books had been out for a couple of years prior to the movie. And none of my readers imposed themselves on her. None of them trespassed on her property. They were all inordinately respectful of that piece of property. It was when the movie came out that, that people made the connection between the books and the film and, you know, started uh, – creating some havoc up in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Uh, but it was my understanding that the vast majority of that has ceased. I put out a couple of videos encouraging people not to impose themselves upon the current owners. Um, but she has done everything in her power uh, to not only um, 
to cut me out of her life. Uh, it fractured our friendship of 28 years. I used to have complete access to the farm. I do no longer have access to the farm. Our friendship is over. Um, she accused my mother and the rest of my family of being liars. And she knows that that's absurd. She's got hours and hours and hours of video out there in the world talking about her experiences in the house, including Season two, episode seven of Ghost Hunters. So I don't want to hear it. She knows the house is haunted. You, you, you were there for ten years. You moved on, um, and it obviously has a profound effect on on all of, all of the family members. But I'm getting, you know, you've, you've actually said um, that. It, you constantly find property, and I'm getting this strong sense of regret uh, about moving away. Now, that's almost a complete uh, opposite of how of how the case has always been portrayed as you know one of these terrifying uh, experiences. And yet, you're 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 coming across, you're giving very much the the sort of you miss it, you miss the comforting um, aspects of of being connected to spirit. Am I getting that that, that impression correctly? Well, Steve, um, you are a very perceptive man, and I will tell you that um, I don't feel that I miss the spirits in the house because I feel that I am um, intimately connected with the spirits from the house, the, the, those entities from my childhood that have lingered in my heart and my mind and in my life world, you know, since I grew up there. Um, and that is true for every member of our family. Every one of us has had numerous uh, supernatural experiences since living in the house. I miss the physical place. Leaving that house in 1980 fractured our family. We never lived under the same roof again. Nancy, my sister um, uh, next to me, I'm the eldest, she's next in line. She was so upset that my parents sold the house that she went to the new owner and asked if she could stay on indefinitely as the caretaker. She did not move to Georgia with the rest of my family. Um, she stayed behind in Rhode Island at the farm. She couldn't part with it. Um, and it really, we never ever were together again as a family. That was it. Um, and, um, I'll tell you, I would take it back in a heartbeat. I would never live in it again. My mother will never, ever step back on that property. Mm -hmm. My father loves it there. My sister Cindy never wants to see it again. <laughs> April loves it there. You see, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was a, it was an emotional roller coaster and we were all, we all had an emotional investment in the place, but some of us wanted to turn our backs on it and never leave. And some of us never wanted to leave at all. Right. So, Andrea, uh, you know, I mean, you can see when, once a Hollywood gets a hold of a property. I mean, you look at uh, Amarville, what happened to that house uh, after the original movie came out. And, you know, it's not the responsibility of, of the person who lived in it. They're just, recant you're just retelling their stories. It's the responsibility of, of anything that goes with it is, is really to the, the Hollywood or, or the producers of the movies to, uh, you know, it, it, even people who buy the house uh, are aware of what they're moving into. Yes, and that's the absolutely true of the woman that lives there now. In fact, the how I met her was I was living in Rhode Island. I had a, my own little restaurant uh, just outside of Providence, and she walked in the front door one day and saw my partner, who she had gone to school with decades before, and said, Gail, is that you? 
And Gail looked at her and said, Norma, is that you? And she's like, oh, my God, I haven't seen you in 30 years. And then she said, you'll never believe it. I just bought uh, a colonial house up on Roundtop Road in Harrisville, and it's haunted. And I was standing in the kitchen, and I dropped my knife, and I beat feet out to, to the front of the restaurant and introduced myself because I knew exactly what house she was talking about. <laughs> And she knew what she was getting herself into. And I'm sorry, but anybody that invites one paranormal investigative team after another after another into their home year after year and then claims there's no activity, then why did you put those people out and have them use their own time and their own money to come and invest some, investigate something that you think didn't exist? She knew better. She knew better. And she actually tried to get my mother to write a book with her and my mother wanted no part of it and finally told her no no stop asking me and um and then she claimed that i never told her that there was going to be a movie made about our story and she's the one that actually put me in, con in contact with the producer who ultimately made the film so you see <laughs> there are some serious glaring discrepancies going on here that have nothing to do with the conjuring that's full of serious discrepancies you know, it's it's an ongoing dilemma, and it's the big dark cloud over what was otherwise um, a very positive experience. You know, James Wan and the cast and crew of The Conjuring did everything in their power to represent us in, in the most loving and, and delicate way, uh, dealing with, you know, people who were uh, still quite alive. And uh, and I appreciate the effort that they made. But I'm currently working on a series of screenplays and my trilogy of books, House of Darkness, House of Light, will eventually make it to the silver screen. And I promise you this, there won't be anything fictional about it. People are ready for this story. People are. And they I need to that, understand. I think, yeah, I think not everything that's supernatural is horrifying. Far from I, it. I think the Truth must always win out in the end. But if we move slightly away from the actual um, location and living in the property, can I? There's, there's always a lot of uh, talk about the Warrens. You know, they they their involvement in different cases. I spoke earlier about the Conjuring Two and their claimed involvement in that case, and of course in Amityville as well. Right. You, you you met them. Um, you have some thoughts and impressions of Ed and Lorraine. What what are your thoughts of, of these two investigators, of these two people who came to your to your family's home? Well, you know, I know John Zaffis very well, who is Ed Warren's um, nephew, and he worked with them for years and years. Uh, so I have a little bit different perspective now as an adult, knowing Johnny as well as I do, um, than I did when I was a child. Um, but when they first came to our home, um, part, some of us were thrilled to be able to tell our stories to people who uh, seemed to believe us, uh, that didn't doubt our word as little children, you know, it, exclaiming this occurred in this room and this occurred in that room. My sister April was so afraid that they were powerful enough to take her little ghost spirit friend away that she wouldn't tell them anything. Um, but the rest of us spilled our guts. Um, my impressions are these. The Warrens were good people who were trying to help us. They were in over their heads right from the inception. Um, they uh, tried 
to assist, but foisted a seance. There was no exorcism that occurred in our home. Ed, Ed Warren would never, never have conducted an exorcism on his own. He was trained through the Catholic Church to assist in an exorcism, and that was all. And he was such a devout Catholic and so respectful of the process, he would never have taken that upon himself. And Lorraine told me that herself as we watched the film together in a private screening prior to its national release. Um, however, uh, she also admits that it was beyond them and that that's the reason why The Conjuring, uh, our story was first, because when they were asked, what is your most intense, disturbing and significant research of your career, they immediately said the Perrin family haunting in Harrisville, Rhode Island. And that's why the producer came after us to get permission to use our names and likenesses in the telling of their version of events. However, their version of events are not accurate um, in many respects as portrayed in the film. Um, they foisted a seance upon my family, my parents, that um, they insisted was necessary. And in the process brought in a medium who, as far as I am concerned, conducted uh, a seance um, as spiritual malpractice. I think that it is foolhardy. Oh to kick open wide the doors to the netherworld and invite everything in so that you can identify who the offending party is. That's absolutely absurd. And when they did it, something that was either in the house or came in that night attacked my mother and she almost paid with her life that night. That is hands down the most traumatizing event that occurred in the house. And I witnessed it with my own eyes. I was 15 years old and it changed who I am fundamentally as a person. I have seen the dark side of existence and that is why I deliberately choose to live in the light. I, we can, we've got just a couple of more minutes to go before the end of the show, unfortunately. But it, I think it's a good opportunity to once again just go through your websites and where people can get House of Darkness, House of Light, the trilogy, so that they can read for themselves the true account. And, 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 too. and the new and book, too. And the new book, The Flicker. Where, in a Flicker, uh, yes. In a Flicker. So do you want to just uh, quickly, uh, uh, Andrea, just allow people to... Uh, <laughs> find out where they can get these books from well in a flicker is available uh at authorhouse.com and authorhouse.com uk uh in in england uh and amazon.com uk in in the uk of course um <clears throat> it's available around the world through Amazon, uh, available in the United States through Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, virtually anywhere. All you have to do is just type in, um, or you can just go to our website, inaflickernovel.com, all lowercase, and you can order it right through there. All the links are there in our beautiful website that George designed. Um, and my books, you can find a little background on uh, at uh, House of Darkness, House of Light dot com. And people can find us um, personally on uh, Facebook uh, at our In a Flicker fan page at my book and author page. Um, you know, we're everywhere. All you have to do is Google both of our names. We're That's everywhere. True. That's true. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, House of Darkness, House of Light dot com. Um, or, or as you say, Andrea, uh, just Google, uh, which is what I did at the start. 
And they are available. All the books are available for every formatted for every e-reader, which is the greatest way. I mean, these books together are about 15 or 20 pounds. You might want to just download them. (laughs) Well, we have a pizza bell. We have to take a break. So uh, but before you go, Andrew, do you ever come up this way at all? Up New England? Uh, I'll. I'll be in Rhode Island for the Ocean State Paracon with George uh, in uh, July, I think, 18th and 19th. Uh, and, Ron, you should definitely come. You are welcome to hang out with me uh, at my table. Uh, George will be there signing copies of In a Flicker with me. Uh, it is a spe- spectacular event you put on by Ken DaCosta and Rise Up Paranormal. You could sell right, a copy yeah. of the Ghost Chronicles one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, anyways, <laughs> just shoot him. Any, anyways, uh, Andrew, we want to thank you so much for being on the show. It, it was uh, really interesting. Uh, as I say, you, sometimes you, you get the wrong information off a website, off a uh, movie, off a thing. So it's always great to hear it from the source, and, and that's who you were, and, and I really appreciate what you've done. No, thank you. I mean, we really did just really scratch the surface of this story. It took me 1,500 pages to tell it all. And it really is a spiritual journey, not just a series of scary stories. So, uh, you know, I hope people will delve in so that they can know the real truth of our experience there. And I thank you so much for inviting me on and spreading our story literally worldwide with your show. It means a great deal to me, and I appreciate it. Oh, so if you're there at the Paracon in Rhode Island, I know Nathan's just said in the chat room, he'll be there also. So um, get along and meet Andrea here. By the books, learn the true story of The Conjuring. Thank you, Angela. It's been an absolute joy to have you as a guest tonight. Uh, and in a couple of weeks' time, just a quick plug, we'll be having Guy Lyon Playfer, who is the Enfield investigator. So the link to Conjuring 2. Good get. That's yeah. great. Good segue, that, wasn't it? well thank you andrea good night god bless thank you gentlemen god bless yeah good night god bless study finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000